Welcome to the Adoption and Foster Care Journey, a podcast to encourage, educate, and equip you to care for children and youth through adoption, foster, and kinship care. Hosted by an adoptive mom with over 22 years of kinship and adoptive parenting experience, she's on this journey with you. Please welcome Sandra Flack. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. That is Psalm 103, verse 8. Welcome to the Adoption and Foster Care Journey. I'm your host, Sandra Flack. Today, we will continue our series on the primary characteristics of fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, or FASD. And if you think that doesn't have anything to do with your adoptive foster or kinship parenting journey, stay tuned because most likely it does. Uh, But first, how are you doing? Spring is almost here, although as I record this episode, it is snowing outside here in New York. Um, I'm back home after our time in the mountains. We came home on Monday. Tuesday was a down day. My 17-year-old son with a FASD, he has fetal alcohol syndrome. Um, He has a difficult time with transitions, which is another primary characteristic of FASD. But uh, so we spent Tuesday just taking it slow. We drove home on Monday uh, afternoon, late afternoon, um, unpacked. And then Tuesday, he was just, we just needed a slow transition day. We played some Yahtzee. We did a little math, which is one of his favorite subjects, um, even though, you know, he's, um, it's that abstract concept can be very challenging for him. And he's 17 and really works at maybe a third grade level for math, but he's really good um, at that level. So anyway, I didn't send him to his skills class at the local high school on that day or expect really much else out of him. Um, And by Wednesday, we were really ready to get back to our regular school week routine. Um, So just like Just like with our kids, we need to give ourselves some grace, some extra time, a slower pace when we feel we need it. So pay attention to what you need as a parent and caregiver. This journey is hard and we can only stay the course if we're caring for our own physical, mental, and emotional and spiritual health too. So before we get to... Uh, today's episode and our next symptom in our series of the primary characteristics of FASD, here are some important announcements. Natalie Vecchione of the FASD Hope Podcast and Sandra Flack of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey Podcast would like to invite you to join their Hope for the FASD Journey, a virtual support community for parents and caregivers raising individuals with an FASD, diagnosed or not. This faith-based community includes an online bi-monthly support group, a monthly VIP conversation, and a private Facebook group which includes a video devotional from Natalie and Sandra every Saturday. 
To register, visit justicefororphansny.org forward slash training forward slash F-A-S-D. Okay, and coming up on Wednesday, March 16th at 1 p.m. Eastern, I'm offering a free Lunch and Learn Introduction to FASD. And on Thursday, March 30th at 7 p.m. Eastern, I am offering a three-hour deep dive into FASD using the FACETS neurobehavioral model. I mean, three hours um, is about as deep as we can go in three hours because we can go a lot deeper. Um, but there's workshops online virtual workshops that will help you get more acclimated if any of the things I've been talking about on this podcast resonates with you when it comes to um, the children that you are caring for and working with um, then you're going to want to go a little bit deeper and learn a little bit more there is a registration fee for the three-hour deep dive the lunch and learn is free but you have to register um, for any of our workshops so that you can get the zoom link to be able to um tune in there. So uh, and we do provide certificates of completion for all of our workshops. So to register or to even check out any of our upcoming trainings, visit my website justicefororphansny.org and click on events at the top of the page for the current uh, available trainings that are out there. And if you click on trainings this is a little backwards but if you click on trainings you'll get a whole list of trainings um and our the um the support group that was mentioned and so on and a lot of resources on there for free um for fasd um but to for to sign up for a current live upcoming workshop you have to go to events because it's considered an upcoming event that's how the website people are explaining it to me so there is a link to the website in the show notes for this podcast episode, so you can check it out easily there. If not, you would go to justicefororphansny.org. Also, be sure to check out our 21 bonus episodes of this podcast that we did with Dr. Jared Brown. Dr. Brown specializes in trauma, FASD, autism, and much, much more. This series of episodes focuses on topics of particular interest to adoptive and foster parents. We discuss things in that series such as prenatal trauma, complex trauma, FASD, I always weave that into every every conversation anyway, but screen time, executive dysfunction, um, inappropriate sexual behavior, working memory, goodness gracious, the effects of sugary beverages on our kiddos. So there's just a ton of really excellent content. Um, and you can find all of those bonus episodes in the same place you found this episode. Just scroll through our library of episodes and they're, they're marked that they're bonus episodes with Dr. Brown. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you do not miss a single episode. Um, and so other adoptive, foster and kinship caregivers can easily find this show and be encouraged and equipped too. So now to today's topic. Again, I'm continuing my series on the primary characteristics of FASD, fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. And today's symptom that we're going to talk about, zero in on, is difficulty generalizing. This is generalizing 
information that they take in. And as a reminder, I'm not a doctor, I can't diagnose FASD, of course, but as a parent of two teenagers diagnosed with fetal alcohol syndrome, I know how important it is for adoptive, foster, and kinship caregivers to be FASD informed and equipped. Um, Recent studies reveal that one in 20 school age American children have been prenatally exposed to alcohol. Um, that's just the, from the general population, not even the child welfare system. Um, 90% of these kiddos are either undiagnosed or completely misdiagnosed with a whole alphabet soup of other diagnoses. With the majority of the children, really probably, you know, are the, the majority of those one in 20 are in the child welfare system. Um, that means if you are raising someone else's child, most likely you will encounter FASD. Uh, so in this series, we've been discussing the primary characteristics, the symptoms of FASD. Uh, so far, uh, we've done episodes on dismaturity, slow processing pace, impulsivity, memory problems, difficulty with abstract concepts such as uh, managing money and understanding money and time, um, and difficulty with predicting outcomes. Today, we will look at problems with generalizing information, which is another characteristic of FASD. Difficulty generalizing information is similar to difficulty with abstract concepts. Individuals with an FASD tend to be very concrete in their thinking. Difficulty generalizing information is present when our kids use different logic, right? And I think it's best described really with some stories. And first, I have a story from one of my neurotypical kids from years ago, which has always... kind of stuck with me as a homeschooling parent. I used to kind of tell this funny little story, excuse me, but it really explains how someone might have a hard time generalizing information, like learning a concept in one setting and then applying it in another setting. So again, my son, neurotypical, he was, I don't know, maybe fifth grade, and we were homeschooling, like I said. We had just finished a punctuation unit in his grammar book. Uh, you know, like ending a sentence with a period, using commas, question marks, exclamation points, and so on, right? Whole unit in his grammar book on that. Then I gave him an assignment for history to write a paragraph about uh, George Washington or someone, right? Write a paragraph. When he handed me the paragraph, it had zero punctuation marks, like none, none. And I handed it back and I asked him like, why are there no periods at the end of your sentences? And he very seriously, you know, just very like, well, you know, that was for English class, was his answer. So you see, I had assumed my son would know that once you learn the rule of ending a sentence with a period or whatever punctuation mark for the rest of your life, whenever you write a sentence for any subject or for anything, you will always end it with a period or whatever appropriate punctuation mark. Only his brain compartmentalized that concept only to English class, only to his grammar book. 
So as a new homeschooling mom, I learned an important lesson back then, and that was like, don't assume that they're going to just automatically know that. Ask, explain, and be concrete. For a long time after that, when I gave them a writing assignment outside of you know, English class, if it was for another subject, I would say, make sure you use capitalization and punctuation and yada, yada, yada. Um, you know, and eventually he got it, of course. And, and uh, but that was really, I had no idea that was an early introduction to generalizing information and how the brain might have a hard time doing that. And that was, you know, a, an individual that did not have FASD or anything like that. Today, I'm still homeschooling. And I have to say, it's like, I don't know, 25 years later, 30 years later, here I am. Um, <clears throat> and my 17-year-old with FAS, um, one of our favorite pastimes together is playing Yahtzee. It's a great, I find board games, if, if your kids like them, a great way to build connection. Um, he's really good with like calculating math you know, in, in things with that. Um, so we have a lot of fun playing Yahtzee. We probably play at least three games of Yahtzee a day. I kid you not. But anyway, I had shared earlier that our family had spent much of the month of February up in the Adirondack Mountains at our camp. And you know, my husband is transitioning toward retirement. Um, he is, I'm not. So don't worry, I'm not going anywhere. Um, in fact, as long as I have my computer, um, I can record podcasts, teach online workshops, and run JFO from pretty much anywhere. So I have, you know, brought all of my stuff with me so I could do all of those things because we were there for, you know, not just a long weekend. We were there for an extended period of time, and I needed to get some things done. So... I had hoped my husband would be able to pick up the slack with my son and help with some of the homeschooling and keeping him occupied, you know, playing some of those games of Yahtzee, that kind of thing. So I could have a break um, and, and get some work done, except my son was having like none of it. To him, only mom can do school with him. And Yahtzee is also only played with mom. And I explained to him, you know, dad can help you at least with math. Maybe dad doesn't understand the reading curriculum and all of that, but, you know, he can help you with your math if you need help. He can sit next to you while you're doing your math and help you with the, re the word problems, and etc. And, you know, dad knows how to play Yahtzee and he can play Yahtzee, but Slava just could not put his dad in those roles. Only mom can do those things to him. My son's brain has difficulty generalizing that information. He couldn't apply it to both mom and to dad. Um, you know, he's homeschooled and loves board games. He should be able to do those things with mom or dad or anyone, right? But not according to his brain. The neural pathways in his brain only points to mom in those roles. So that's, you know, one example. Um, another one is actually from a story in Diane Melvin's book, Trying Differently Rather Than Harder, which is a must read for all foster, adoptive, and kinship caregivers. Um, in the example given in the book, um, it talks, Diane shares about a school age girl who was studying for a test in her um, guidance counselor's office. And then she went into her classroom to take the test and she failed the test. 
And she went back to the counselor's office to study again and then returned to the classroom to take the test again, only to fail again. And the girl was a little exasperated and finally asked the, the teacher and her counselor, you know, can I just take the test in the office, in the counselor's office, the same place she had been studying? And they let her and she took the test in the office and she aced it. You see, she knew the information, but in this case, that information, her brain could only access it when she was in the same place, the same room where she had learned the information. It didn't transition into other rooms, just like with my neurotypical son, grammar didn't, you know, translate into a history class. Um, I had to explain that and then he was able to do it. But this girl's brain could not access the information um, in any other setting other than where she had learned it. Um, so th these things often don't make any sense to parents, teachers, or employers as these individuals get older, but it's how the brain of an individual who was prenatally exposed to alcohol can work. In fact, as I record this, my 19-year-old son, also with FAS, is home from work without pay due to a safety infraction at work. Uh, he was grinding metal. That's something that generates sparks. It's a thing that he does do at work. He's a welder. He was grinding right next to some fuel tanks. Now, my son's employer, who happens to technically be his dad, um, our company has monthly required safety meetings. I actually think they do them twice a month, to be honest with you. Um, and that's where all the employees um, have to review all of the things like this and teach safety in the workplace. And they have an actual safety guy on staff and all of that. So those safety meetings are conducted in the lunchroom, like the cafeteria of the shop uh, where they work. So my son who works in the shop, you know, it's possible that he just didn't translate. He couldn't apply the information learned in the lunchroom, the cafeteria at work to the shop. Now, it could also be a memory problem or a predicting problem. He didn't make the link between sparks and fuel tanks and like kaboom, right? Not to mention, He's a volunteer firefighter, so you would think this would be something he would be knowing would not be a good idea. So you can see how problems generalizing can cause greater problems and big trouble the older our kids get. So what do we do about it? And now these are just these examples that I'm giving you, um, you know, this could present with your kiddo in a lot of different ways, but I'm sharing this concept about difficulty generalizing um, because it, it, to, to give you an idea of what to be on the lookout for, like, oh, this could be what she's talking about, generalizing information. It goes hand in hand with memory and learning problems, which are also primary characteristics of FASD. So what do we do? First and foremost... Always think brain. This is where you have to get to as a parent or caregiver, even social workers and special education teachers and counselors and anyone working with our kiddos. You know, the stories I just shared are not due to a child being, you know, diff deliberately difficult or manipulative or thoughtless or careless or lazy or whatever it could look like. 
this is how their brain works because of prenatal exposure to alcohol. And if you're not sure if your individual, if your child that you're caring for was prenatally exposed to alcohol, but you know, you were told maybe somewhere in there that the mom did use some drugs, okay? You know, I, and I know a families who, you know, they have that information. There's a whole list of, of substances that mom was abusing during the pregnancy, but alcohol didn't make the list. And I'm just, you know, my non-professional opinion is that if other drugs were being used, alcohol was being used too, because alcohol is legal and easily accessible and often goes hand in hand with um, the other drugs that are abused. So it's almost like you have to assume alcohol was used. And if you have zero information, but you are you know, experiencing these symptoms that I have been sharing, um, then you need to start looking more closely at this. This could definitely be what's going on because alcohol exposure in the womb impacts, like literally changes the structure and function of the brain. So as parents, caregivers, or anyone working with a child or individual who was prenatally exposed, or if it was just expected, you know, suspected, you know, we, we must reframe our thinking from behavior to brain. If you find yourself butting heads with your child or taking it personally, like they're doing it on purpose, you know, um, stop, stop and think brain. We have to remember it's a brain thing. And it's not necessarily going to change. They're not going to outgrow it. They may, you know, they're not doing it on purpose. It's not that they won't. You know, the the story of the girl who couldn't pass the test in the classroom, but could pass it in the guidance office. You know, somebody could look at that and say, she's just being difficult. She's just being manipulative. She just doesn't want to, you know, and that's not the case. Her brain literally couldn't retrieve the information that was put in her brain in the classroom. But she could retrieve it in the office that she had learned it in. So that's where we have to take a step back and consider the brain. Now, my son, who will only do school or play Yahtzee with me and not his dad, also is not being difficult or obstinate or oppositional or whatever, you know, it might look like on the outside if you don't understand the brain. Now that I do understand a little bit about how his brain works, I accept that school and Yahtzee are things that he and I do together. And his dad has to find dad things to do with him, like snowmobiling or woodworking or whatever other activities. Um, You know, so they're doing things together and I do get a break. But, you know, where I was really hoping that, oh, you know, my husband's going to retire and now I'm kind of off the hook for having to do all of the school and having to do all of the Yahtzee playing, you know, that might be a great idea in my brain, but that's not how my son's brain is going to be able to navigate my husband's retirement. So it's going to look different than what I was hoping that it was going to look like. So, you know, again, don't butt heads, don't fight, Um, start considering that it's the brain, okay? We must adjust our expectations to meet our child's reality. So, you know, my expectation was I was going to be 
getting a break, right? But the reality for my child was that's not how his brain works, right? They have a brain-based, lifelong, physical condition that affects their brain and their body. Just as we would make appropriate accommodations for a person in a wheelchair or a person who was blind or hearing impaired, you know, we don't, ex- I'm sorry, that's my doggy. We don't expect, you know, the, the individual in a wheelchair to be able to run laps in track in order to pass PE class. We don't expect a blind individual to be able to read the blackboard. And uh, so things like that. What do we do? We adjust our expectations because we know that there is a disability there. Um, and it's the same for people with FASD even though there are no visible signs of the disability. These behavioral characteristics that we see are the signs. These things that I've been sharing as primary characteristics of FASD, they are the signs of the disability. You don't see the wheelchair, you don't see the beautiful face of the individual with Down syndrome, because the only thing usually that indicates a person is struggling and has an FASD are these behavioral characteristics, right? So these are the things. This is why we have to think brain because this is an invisible disability most of the time. Uh, So next, next, ask your child or the person, what do you need? What do you think will help you? You know, especially the older our kids get, they know what could work? The student in the story that I shared finally asked if she could take that test in the counselor's office. She knew what would help her remember that information. And then she was successful. So ask, ask your child, ask the the person that you're working with, engage them in developing strategies that will work and make sure they're strengths based. For example, If your child is a visual learner, use visual aids to help them remember things. You know, posters, charts, lists, and so on. But let me tell you, if your child is not a visual learner, they won't work. I know, because I have posters and I have charts posted in my kid's bedroom and in the bathroom, and nobody it seems like nobody even sees them. They don't even see them because they're not visual learners. Now, if your child needs one-on-one, they're very relational, and they work best in one-on-one scenarios, like my son prefers mom to sit with him and do his schoolwork, um, prefers mom to sit and play Yahtzee, that kind of thing. If they learn best and work best in one-on-one scenarios, provide it. Provide it. Now, another Well, before I go on to the next key factor, I'll just say, be creative. Every individual, every child is different. You have to take a long, hard, close look at your child, what their strengths are, where they seem to be struggling, ask them what they need, ask them what they think might help, and and begin to find solutions that are tailor-made to your child. Okay, it's not a one size fits all. These are just really some strategies that you can look at um, applying and and kind of you know use them as catalysts to come up with things that would work specifically for your for your child. So another key factor 
with individuals with an FASD is prevention. Okay, if they're not able to really generalize information, like learn a safety rule in one place and apply it everywhere, then it's very important that we as parents and caregivers be on the lookout and prevent, you know, implement some strategies that will prevent bigger problems. Now, I know personally, firsthand, prevention can be exhausting for us parents and caregivers, but it can actually prevent even more draining outcomes. You know, like what is that old saying, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure or something like that. That is true. That is true. Yes, it's going to take some effort on our part, some expense on our part, some energy on our part to um, apply things, you know, and come up with ideas to prevent problems from happening. But when we've done that, you know, then we could actually save ourselves from a whole lot of heartache, um, you know, and more draining outcomes. Like my son, who was grinding metal in the shop near fuel tanks, management at his job knows he has a brain-based condition because I've educated them on that. Um, Not as thoroughly as I would like to, but any opportunity I have, I interject it. So he is not, like the practice at work is he's not left alone to work in the shop by himself. Someone is always there for supervision, even if my son doesn't realize he's being supervised, right? There's always somebody else there. And you know what? My son can grind. He can weld. He can build lots of things and do amazing things. But he cannot always remember safety rules. Sometimes he perseverates on a task. And, you know, perseveration is another one of those things. If you have a kid who gets super hyper focused on one thing, which might even drive you crazy as the parent, right? Um, You know, that hyper focus, right, can help him in his job because he can get an assigned task done. But if all of his energy and his whole brain is focused on that one thing that he's doing, then he's not looking around his environment for dangers because that would actually be multitasking, which is something difficult for individuals on the spectrum to do. So supervision is required and that is prevention. These strategies, thinking brain, stop fighting, ask them what they need and be vigilant for ways to prevent potential problems not an exhaustive list of strategies, but they can get you started in the right direction to help support your child into successful outcomes. So again, one of the biggest things that I've learned on my journey, um, parenting my kiddos, and as I've learned more and more about FASD, and as I've become a certified facilitator of the FACETS neurobehavioral model, think brain, always think brain. (sighs) I hope you found this episode helpful. I thank you for listening to the Adoption and Foster Care Journey. Uh, I'm here to encourage you and equip you on your parenting journey. And remember, for guidance along the way, 
be sure to check out our website for resources. We have the Hope for the FASD Journey virtual support community and our intro to FASD lunch and learns and various versions of our deep dive workshops that I teach. I can teach them online. I can teach them uh, in person. I travel. I can come to your group. Um, whatever you whatever you feel that you or your group of, of fellow foster and adoptive parents needs, um, reach out to me because I would love to bring this training to you. We do have virtual trainings all the time on our schedule that you can always check out and uh, become part of. So for details, again, or to register, visit justicefororphansny.org. And remember, for workshops that are available to register for right now, you click on events at the top of the page. And for information about all of our other resources for FASD, click the training tab and then click FASD and you'll find it all there. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to let us know by subscribing. And if you're listening on Apple, through Apple, please, please, please leave a review. And hey, let all of your fellow adoptive and fostering friends know about this podcast so that they can listen and be encouraged and equipped too. Be sure to find and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Justice for Orphans. And you can also find me on both platforms at Sandra Flack. I am so grateful that you spent your valuable time with me today. I am thrilled to have you along for the journey. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey podcast, brought to you by Justice for Orphans. We hope you were encouraged today. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review and share it with your fellow foster and adoptive parent friends so they can be encouraged too. Be sure to find and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Justice for Orphans. And check out our website for vital resources at justicefororphansny.org.